chapter 14, Hosea chapter 14, the last chapter in Hosea here, and kind of coming to um, the end of our study through the book of Hosea. Um, Again, I'll be very honest, when I first began praying about going through the book of Hosea, I was I wasn't quite sure if I was um, up to the task. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot that goes into the book of Hosea here. Um, but as we've gone through this, and the Lord's just really opened up so many different things, it's just been an amazing study. And uh, I, I hope you've enjoyed it. it um, if not, I don't really care because I have. <laughs> it's, been, it's been great for me. Uh, I, have, I have learned so much through this book. Um, and I, I, I really do. I hope that you've learned through it uh, as well. Let's read uh, chapter 14, just nine verses there. We're going to read all nine verses. Um, again, I don't think we're going to get through all of them tonight, um, and, uh, but we'll go as far as we can. Uh, in chapter 14 of Hosea, he says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words, and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all iniquity, and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. I will hear their, heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree, and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn, and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. Who is wise? And he shall understand these things. Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them. But the transgressors shall fall therein. What a great way to end this book, uh, as Hosea is writing, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But he begins almost as, or he ends as he began. Um, if we remember, Hosea began his ministry around 750 uh, B.C. Um, and ministered for a number of years until Israel was taken captive. Um, and what we've kind of done in breaking up um, both uh, Amos and Hosea and Jonah are all the minor prophets that God was dealing really with Israel before the exile. Uh, and then, uh, as my dad will begin teaching through the book of Joel, the, the Joel and some of these other minor prophets are the minor prophets that God sent to Judah, to the southern kingdom, uh, before their exile. Uh, there's a couple of those we're going to be looking at. And then, of course, there are obviously uh, prophets during, uh, during the exile, during the, uh, the persecution and things like that. Uh, obviously, probably, uh, if we would think, what would we say would be the most famous prophet during uh, the exile, during uh, captivity? What would probably be one of the most famous prophets we could think of? Somebody? 
Okay, Isaiah, all right. Uh, Isaiah is, is kind of, he's kind of before, before the exile and everything like that. Uh, who would be like during the exile? Who would be like one of the famous, the most famous prophet that we know uh, during the exile? Daniel, right? Daniel. I mean, uh, Daniel writes this, this great book, and Daniel, of course, is a prisoner. He's a prisoner. He's a captive, but yet, not only is he a, he a prisoner and a captive, but he is actually a very powerful man. Um, just as Joseph was a prisoner uh, and a captive, but yet God used Joseph and promoted Joseph to be second in, uh, in Egypt, so God used Daniel, and, uh, and through the book of Daniel, God gives him uh, visions and, and things that he's, he's going to be talking about, and God promotes Daniel even through uh, the captivity, through the exile, uh, to become second and basically all of the wor- or, or third, excuse me, in, in all of the world during this time. And uh, so God is using these different men uh, in, in different time periods. And so uh, Hosea has been ministering now for uh, 40, 50 years as a prophet of God. Um, again, obviously, all, all we have is these 14 chapters. We don't know, uh, obviously, how often um, Hosea preached right? We don't know how often he, he was sent by God to, to give this message, but we know over that 50-year period of time, there were different times when Hosea was ministering and giving this message. And so we're coming down to, to the last chapter here, um, and, and this is right before the captivity. This is right before uh, Israel, the northern ten tribes, are going to be taken captive by the Assyrian army, and uh, they're going to be taken into exile uh, for, for a number of years. But as we go through this, all throughout Hosea, his entire message from start to finish has revolved around one plea. It's all been about one plea that he has given. And that is for Israel to turn back to God. To turn back to God. Notice how he, he begins here, chapter 14. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. Notice, if you go back with me to chapter 2, go back to chapter number 2, notice in verse number 7, chapter 2, verse number 7, and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. Again, he's using that illustration between Hosea and Gomer of Gomer recognizing and saying, hey, I need to return back. I need to turn back to my husband. I need to turn back to God. And this has been Hosea's theme throughout the whole book um, of, to Israel is, is turning back to God. Uh, his message has never changed. In fact, throughout this book, eight times before we come to chapter 14, he has made this plea to repent, to turn Turn back to God. Repent. Turn back to God. Eight different times. And then here in chapter 4, throughout this past, or excuse me, chapter 14, throughout these verses, we'll see he'll make this plea four more times, just begging Israel to turn back to God. Hosea's message is the same, even again, as we see back in, if you go back to chapter 6, chapter 6, verse number 1, what does he say? Come and let us return unto the Lord right? I mean, all throughout it, he's saying, turn back to God, turn back to God. 
The problem, as we saw back in chapter 6 with this, where he says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. They had this, they had this half-hearted desire to return. Oh, let's, let's turn so that, so that we don't get in trouble. Let's, let's turn just so that we can get out of, uh, of the consequences. And, and that wasn't what God was wanting. He wasn't wanting a half-hearted repentance. He wasn't wanting a half-hearted turning to God. He wanted them to fully repent and turn back to the Lord. And so there, there was no true desire in Israel to turn from their idols back to the Lord. Um, and in that same, or if you go back to chapter 2, uh, verses 16 and 17, we see what God's desire is, right? In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, he says, And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shalt call me no more Bali, for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And this was God's desire. Put, put away these idols. Get, get, get these idols out of there. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to have them. I don't want you to speak of them. I don't want their names. Uh, because these were, these were false gods. These were false idols that Israel had turned to. And he said it's just like what he had given with Hosea and Gomer uh, in that uh, analogy of the marriage there. You had Gomer, who was the wife, turning and going after other men in, in adultery. And he's saying Israel has done the same thing. God is, is the husband and Israel has turned and gone after these other gods. And he's saying, put, put them away. Get, get, them, get them out of your house. Get them out of the country. These should not be here. And this has been God's desire through this whole message through the book of Hosea. Repent and submit to the Lord. Repent. This is what he says in verse number one. Hear the word, excuse me, uh, I need to get back to chapter 14. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. Return. Have that true repentance and turn back to the Lord our God. Why? And he tells us here, why do they need to repent? Why do they need to turn? For thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. They were fallen. They had, they had fallen away from God. They had fallen into sin. Uh, and destruction uh, was going to come upon them because of their sin. And this wasn't just one man's sin. right? This wasn't just because of one person. It wasn't just because of the king. Uh, the sin was because of the sin of the nation. The entire nation was involved in sin. And we're going we're gonna to see this in a minute because God reminds them of some things. And so Israel as a nation had fallen. Yes, obviously the, the, the leaders are, are responsible for how they have led. There's no doubt about that. But it wasn't just the king. It wasn't just the princes that were responsible. It wasn't just the, 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 the priests that were responsible. He says the entire nation is responsible for this sin. You know what that tells me? It doesn't matter what anybody else does, every single person is still accountable to God for what they do. We can, we can try to pass the buck on everybody else. We can say, well, we didn't have the best leader, or we didn't have the best pastor. And you can say amen to that, right? Uh, you can say, well, we didn't have the best, uh, the best person leading us. But that, that doesn't matter. You know why? Because God says, ultimately, you're still responsible for what you do. You're still responsible. We are responsible individually to God for how we live our life, right? 
Um, and, and it's sad. I, I understand that there are people, even in, in churches, that, that they can get hurt or, or someone can, can let them down. And, and what happens? They, they, can, they, they get out of church and, uh, and they, they never go back to church anymore or they, they turn against God. And they can say, well, you know, that person let me down. And that, that might be true. That, maybe that person did let them down. But here's the thing. They are still responsible to God for their actions. Just as whoever it was that maybe did something wrong is responsible to God for their actions. And this is what he's saying. Israel, you are responsible. Every single one of you. It's not just the king. It's not just the political leaders or the religious leaders. Every single one of you are responsible for your sin. Every one of you. They had brought this upon themselves. And unless they would repent... (laughs) They were not going to have any pleasure in the judgment of God. Now, that's all they've been concerned about is pleasure. All they've been concerned about is just living it up and, and enjoying life. And God says, look, unless you repent, there's going to be no pleasure in the judgment that is coming. None. Remember, the, the Assyrians were very, very cruel people, which was why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach to them. Because they were a cruel people. They, had, they, were, they, were, they were very wicked people. And God says, it's not going to be pleasant. This isn't just going to be some vacation that you're on. This is going to be a horrible thing that you're going to go through because of your sin. And the problem was they just wouldn't let go. They would not let go. I mean, you think about how many prophets that that we have throughout Scripture uh, with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Joel and Amos and, and all these different prophets, and they're all preaching the same message. Turn back to God. And they just would not let go. They wouldn't let go of their sin. They were they were holding on to their sin like it was some priceless treasure. I mean, they were just, they were holding on with a death grip, and no matter what message was brought, they were not going to let go of their sin. And so that was going to bring judgment of God. But what's interesting about this, notice here in verse number one, he says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. So he says, You've brought this upon yourself. You've brought this judgment, you've brought this punishment, these consequences upon yourself. But what's really interesting about this is even though Israel had turned to these idols that they had made with their hands, it didn't change the fact that the Lord was still their God. Did you notice what he said in verse number one? Return unto the Lord thy God. You see, it doesn't matter what people say, it doesn't matter what people do, it doesn't change the fact of who God is. You say, well, I don't believe there's a God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you say you believe there's a God or not. It doesn't change the fact of who God is. It doesn't change the fact that there is a God. And every single person will one day stand accountable to God for how they've lived their life. He says, repent, return unto the Lord thy God. But here's what's beautiful about this. God would not abandon them. Even though they were the ones that had 
turned away from God. And even though, yes, they were going to be disciplined, they were, the consequences were going to come, the judgment was going to come, God says, I will not abandon you. I am still your God. And you may not recognize me as God right now, but I am still your God, and one day you will. One day you will recognize me as your God. And he says, I want you to turn back to me. Remember, it was God that had made the covenant with them. And he would keep his word. And I'm so glad that God keeps his word. People disappoint. They do. People will let you down, right? I mean, that's just, that's just part of life. But God will never disappoint us. God will never let us down. God always keeps his word. And that is something that we can have the hope and confidence and assurance in knowing, hey, it, it, the world may be crazy right now, but you know what? God is still in control. And, and we may not understand what's going to happen tomorrow, but you know what? I know God is still God, and he's still on the throne, and there's nothing going on that he doesn't know about, and so I can trust him, and I know he's going to keep his word. Because he's God. He's God. It may not be through this group of people that Hosea is speaking to that God is going to bring them back to himself, but there would be a group of people that would return and recognize that he truly was their God. And then I want you to notice what he says here. He says, return unto the Lord thy God. So, so here is basically, he's, he's showing us in this last chapter of Hosea, he's showing us the future of Israel. This really is the future of Israel. He's telling them to return. He's telling them to repent. Now, obviously we understand that the, the nation of Israel as a whole during this time of Hosea is not going to repent. But there is going to come, through the captivity, through the exile, through all that is going to transpire, there is going to come a group of people that are going to turn back to the Lord. They're going to turn back to God. And so God says, look, this is, this is what I want you to understand. I will forgive. Look what he says in verse number 2. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. You are gods for in thee the fatherless find mercy. God says, I will forgive if, if you return. I'll forgive, but you must return. And that's what he says. Return unto the Lord thy God. If you'll return, he says, God will forgive, but you must return. What do you do when a child is, uh, is disobedient? Yes, you, 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 may, you may have to punish them. You may discipline but the most important thing that, that you can do and, and to try to instruct them is you tell them what they need to do to make it right. The, the discipline is there to help them know that it's wrong. But now they need to make it right. Okay? So if, if a child is, 
if, if he is lying, then yes, there may be a punishment, but then you have to make that right. If you've lied to someone, then you're going to have to go to that person and you're going to have to ask forgiveness and admit that you lied and ask forgiveness for, for lying to them. If you've stolen, yes, there's going to be a punishment or something, but, but then you need to go to the one you stole from, ask forgiveness and make it right. Even God gave instruction in his word. Look, if you stole something from someone, then if you were caught and, and, and forced to make restitution, you were, you were to restore five times the amount that you stole. Now again, there, there's the punishment, but there's also making it right. Because here's the thing, it's very easy for somebody to just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right? But how are you going to make it right, right? I, 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 I may have told this story before, but I remember um, when I was a kid, I don't know where we were, I think maybe it may have, may have been in uh, Missouri or somewhere like that, I was just a, I was just a kid, and um, I was walking through the store with my, my parents, and I think my, my siblings were there as well, and... Um, in the store, you know, normally you have all the candy and little packages and things like that. But in some of these stores, they, they really are tempting children. Because they have the candy in these bins and they're not in packages, right? Because what they want you to do is get one of those little baggies and they get the scoop in there and get like five pounds of candy, right? You don't want just a little package. You want like five pounds. Yeah. And I can remember we were walking by, and all I did, it's very innocent, I just, there it was, and we were walking by, opened the lid, picked one up, popped it in my mouth. And we're walking through the store, and we're about to check out, and I've got, I don't remember if it was a gumball or a jawbreaker or whatever it was, but I'm just sucking on this piece of candy. And we get ready to, we get ready to go out, and we're walking outside, and my dad looks down at me, he says, Andrew, what's in your mouth? Nothing. What are you talking about? <laughs> he said, what's in your mouth? And of course, obviously, I had to admit that I'd, I had stolen a piece of candy. And do you remember this? So, <laughs> yeah, my dad's like, you bet, yeah. So, so I remember, we're out in the parking lot. We turn around, he's like, you're going to go in. And we're going to find the manager, and you're going to tell the manager what you've done, that you've stolen. And all I knew, all I knew about stealing was that I, had, I just heard, if you steal, you go to jail. <laughs> and here I am, I'm this kid, and my dad's marching me into this store, and I'm bawling because I'm thinking, I'm going to jail. I, I, I just, for a piece of candy, you know, I mean, I'm going to jail, and I'm never going to see my parents again. I mean, this, life is over for me. And we walked in, and my dad says, we need to see the manager. I'm like, please, don't let him be here. <laughs> and the manager comes out. And I don't know, I, I know my dad. And I'm sure my dad was kind of giving this manager a wink, wink, wink here, you know. Because my dad's like, my son needs to tell you something. I'm sorry, I stole the candy. Don't send me to jail. You know, I'm just, I'm just bawling because I'm thinking I'm going to jail. And I can remember the manager, he's like, well, son, you know, you shouldn't steal. I'm, oh, I know I shouldn't steal, you know. And, and how are you going to pay for that? I don't know. I don't have any money. I mean, just like, I'm done. You know, my life is over. And uh, he said, well, he said I, I, he said, I appreciate you coming in. And he said, 
Um, you know, I, you know, you can, you can go, we won't make you pay for it or whatever. Um, but I was like, ah, I'm free. I'm not going to go to jail. I'm not going to jail. It's the greatest day of my life. But here's the thing. I never forgot that day. I never forgot that day. That, that day is burned into my mind. And it's his fault because he had fun with it. Yeah. But there's, there's, there is, there is being wrong, but then there is making it right, right? And you, you have to teach your children, look, if you're going to do wrong, there's going to be consequences. But at the same time, you have to make it right now. And this is how you make it right. Do you know that's exactly what God does to Israel here? He tells them, you are wrong, and if you want to be forgiven, this is how you make it right. This is, this is exactly what he says here, right? This is, this is exactly what he says. So, uh, so what does God do? Again, just like speaking to a child, he tells them exactly what they need to do to get right. So that there's no mistake about it. He says, this is what you need to do, right? And he spells it out for him. He says, first of all, you have broken your vow. You've broken your vow. Look what he says. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. The, the word words there refer, is referring to a vow that is being made. Uh, and just as we saw in the first three chapters dealing with that, the vow of marriage between Gomer and Hosea. What had happened in that, in that vow? Gomer broke her vows of marriage. She broke her vow. She broke her words. They had, they had made a vow in marriage together. And, they, and then after a time, Gomer decided, hey, I don't care about this anymore. I don't care about my vow. I don't care about my words. I'm going to go out and live however I want to live. By the way, that's what a lot of people do today. And that just shows how selfish we are. Because it's all about me. It's all about me. I want to be able to enjoy my life. I want to be able to have my fun. Wait a minute. When we enter that vow of marriage, God says he holds us accountable to that vow. Just as he's talking about Hosea and Gomer here. Think about what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. God says when we make a vow to God, and then we just decide, well, I don't have to keep this vow, God says we are going to be held accountable for that. And, and this was the vow. If you go back to the book of Exodus, we don't have time to turn to the different passages here, but as Exodus chapter 19, verse number 8, after uh, God has told Israel what he expects of them, this is what the people said. And all the people, and this wasn't just Moses, it wasn't just Aaron. It says, and all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then later on, just to make sure, God says, hey, this is what I'm going to expect of you. This is what I'm going to require of you. And then later on in chapter 24, in verse number 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered the one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken will we do. They said, we as a people are making a vow to God that he is going to be our God and we're going to follow him all the days of our life. It's an important vow. The question is, how long did it last? 
It didn't last very long. Oh, they made the vow. They said, hey, we're, we're promising God. We're going to follow God. We're promising God. We're going to do everything that he said. And this is what God said. Hey, you want to make it right? Go back to your vow. Go back to your vow. Keep your word. You told me that I would be your God. You told me that you would follow me. And I have sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to remind you and remind you and remind you to turn, to turn, to turn. And you have ignored me. You have broken your vow to me. You have broken your word to me. And he says, if you want forgiveness, if you want to make it right, this is what you need to do. Watch what he says. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. You keep your vow to God. It's not just some flippant thing God is saying. God said, you made a promise to me. It wasn't sacrifices that he wanted. They were offering sacrifices, but he said, I don't want your sacrifices. They were singing. He said, I don't want your songs. They were giving. He says, I don't want your money. He says, I want you. I want you. It wasn't about the sacrifices and all of that. He wanted them to acknowledge their sin with their mouth and recognize that they had broken their vow. Just as Gomer, she recognized, as we saw through the first three chapters, she recognized, I have broken my vow to Hosea, and he is the one that has truly been helping me, and he's the one that's been providing for me. I have broken my word, I've broken my vow. And what happens? She goes back to Hosea. And God says, hey, I want you to understand something. You've broken your vow. Just like Gomer did with Hosea, you've broken your vow. You want to make it right? Keep your vow. Keep your word. Keep your promise. That's why he says in Psalms 51, verses 16 and 17, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. God says, I want you to recognize that you have sinned. I want you to recognize what your sin is. Hey, there is going to be consequences, that's right. But this is how you make it right with me, God says. Take your vow. Go back to it. Remember what you said. You said you would follow me. You said you would obey me. You said you would trust me. Now prove it. Go back to that. Go back to it. You know, there's a lot of Christians that need to go back to their vow to God. You see, when we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, what did we do? It wasn't just, oh God, I want to be saved. No, 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 no. There is the salvation. There is the saving of our sin. There's saving from our sin. And yes, Jesus Christ makes that, makes us white as snow. But what else there is salvation? Jesus Christ now becomes Lord of our life. And when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're saying, God, I trust you and and I'm going to follow you and you're going to be my God and I'm going to do what you want me to do. And what happens? How long does that last? And so often for many Christians, what do we do? Oh, man, we do it for a while just like Israel did. But then after I were like, you know what? I, man, I'm just, I'm just tired of this. I, I don't want to keep following the Lord anymore. I want to go over here and have fun like the world is having. And I want to do this and I want to do that. And God says, you're breaking your vow on me? You're going to break your word? 
Because when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word Lord means master. When we accepted Christ as our Savior, he became our Lord and master. Yet we don't think we have to obey him. We don't think we have to follow him. Is it any wonder why we, are, we experience many times the consequences in our life and God is saying, look, the consequences are here, but I'm trying to help you to see how can you make it right? You got to keep your word. You got to go back to that vow you made. When you accepted Christ as your savior, it wasn't just to get out of jail free card. Oh, whoopee, now I'm saved. I get to go live the life I want to live. No, it's Jesus Christ. You are now my Lord You are my Savior. You are my God. And I follow you. Do we keep our vow? Have we kept our vow? Because if not, we are just as guilty as Israel was. They broke their vow to God. Notice the second thing. Not only had they broken their vow, but he says you have sinned greatly against God. Look what he says in in the same verse. He says, take with you words and turn to the Lord and say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. What does he mean when he says, take away all iniquity? It wasn't that just they had broken their vow and they... And following, yes, all that the Lord has said we do, he's going to be our God. No, they, they broke that, but then they just did everything they wanted. They lived how they wanted to live, and they didn't care what God said. The, the intermarrying that was going on with other nations, the immorality that was taking place, the adultery that was rampant now in Israel, the desire simply for, for pleasure and fulfilling sexual desires through the temple prostitution that we saw here in Hosea and things, it was all an abomination to God. He says, you have sinned greatly against me. You want to make it right? First of all, go back to your vow. You want to make it right? Get rid of the sin. Get rid of the sin. You're you're just living for self. You're living for pleasure. They were all about themselves. Again, go back with me to chapter 4. In chapter 4. Look in verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Because there's no truth, there's no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. I mean, he says this is, this is rampant in the land. Again, were the, were the leaders doing it? Yes, but so was everybody else. Everybody. This is why he says, I have something against Israel, not just against the leaders of Israel, but the whole nation. This is rampant in the land. If you go up to chapter, verse number six, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgot the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children as they were increased. So they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. You understand what he's saying? Their heart was totally given over to the debauchery that they were in. Totally given over to this sinful lifestyle that they were living. 
He said, you, you've completely given yourself over to it. Verse number nine, and there shall be like people like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. He said, they, their heart is completely taken away from God. It is completely on self and sensual pleasure. That was Israel. But that's also our society today. Totally given to self, totally given to sensual pleasure. Whatever you want to do, that's what's good for you. And you know what's really sad? Is that so many Christians have fallen prey to that lie as well. You don't really have to follow God. You don't really have to do what He says. You don't really need to serve Him. I mean, look at all you're missing. But anyway, God says, if you want to make it right, you need to remember your vow. You need to remember that nobody forced you to accept Jesus as your Savior. You made that choice, willing to say, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You made that choice. You're going to keep your vow? Are we just going to continue living the sensual life that we want to live? Just enjoying whatever we want to do? Well, it doesn't matter if I serve God or not. I'm just going to enjoy life. Wait a minute. God says, you, you need to get that iniquity. He says, take away all iniquity. And what does he say? And receive us graciously. You understand what grace is? Grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. Israel did not deserve to receive God's forgiveness. But God said, I'm willing to give it if you'll make it right. You don't deserve it. But if you'll get rid of your iniquity, if you'll remember your vow, I'll be gracious. I'll be gracious. I'll give what you don't deserve. Later on, we, we, we see he talks about mercy at the end of verse number three. He says, for in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. Isn't that amazing? In these two verses, God speaks of himself with grace and mercy. Mercy? Huh. Wow. Mercy? That's not receiving what we do deserve. He's merciful. He's gracious. But only if we will make it right. Only if we will turn. God's not just going to continue to allow us to keep living this sinful lifestyle and just doing whatever we want and then somehow think that, oh, you just keep doing that. I'm just going to keep being gracious. I'm just going to keep being merciful. No, God says there is consequences. There is judgment. But if you will turn, I'll show you grace. If you will turn, I'll show you mercy. If you'll remember your vow, if you will put away, take away all iniquity. Notice what he says in verse number three. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Again, here's the third thing God is saying. They had turned to physical strength. They had turned to look at other nations as powerful. They had turned to look at their own army. Look how powerful we are. We don't need God because look at what we can do. Again, it's sad that there are so many Christians who say, I just don't need God. Look at what I can do. I don't need God in my life. Oh, yeah, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I don't need God now. I can take care of myself. I got it all figured out. 
That's exactly what Israel's saying. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon the horses. They're saying, you've got to understand, you cannot trust in physical strength. Asher's not going to come and save you. There's not going to be an army big enough to keep you from the judgment of God. Your, your armies aren't going to be enough. You have to recognize that. I cannot do it in my own strength. I need God. I must have His strength if I'm ever going to be able to do anything for God. This is what he's saying. Remember we saw the, the silly dove back in chapter 7? Remember what he talks about in chapter 7, verse number 11? He says, Ephraim is like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. He's like a silly dove going to all these different other nations to, to help them. And yet it was God who led them out of Egypt. It was God who defeated these nations for them. But he's saying there's going to come a time when that silly dove will stop being silly. There's going to come a time when that silly dove will finally come to the senses. As we saw again there also in chapter 7 about that, that unturned loaf of bread that only bakes on one side. It's half baked. He said there's going to come a time when they're going to come to their senses and that full loaf is going to be baked. They're going to recognize they cannot do it. What's it going to take? It's going to take judgment. It's going to take the punishment of God. As they see the Assyrian army coming and destroying their land and taking their people captive and now being raised in a, in a strange nation, oh, they're going to recognize we need God. There's nothing we can do without God. But wouldn't it have been so much better if they would have repented before? If they would have turned before? And I want you to notice the last thing here. We are definitely not going to get through the chapter tonight, right? And we've seen this all throughout. Watch what he says. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, ye are our gods. What did they do? They had turned to other gods. They had turned to gods that they had made with their own hands. Again, Using Hosea's analogy here, you've got to be pretty silly and you've got to be (laughs) half-baked to think that something that you can make is your God. To really think that that is your God and that's what you're going to worship, that thing that you made with your hands, that's your God, you are half-baked. You are nothing but a silly dove going just flying around everywhere. He says, but there's going to come a time when you're going to realize those gods that you've made with your hands that you think are something are nothing. And you're going to put those gods away. And you're going to get rid of those things and you're going to recognize that there is only one God. And that's why he says, he he says here, he says, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods, for in who? Thee, in God, the fatherless, findeth mercy. Where would they find mercy? Not in Assyria. Where would they find mercy? Not in Baal. Where would they find mercy? Not in Egypt. Where would they find mercy? Not in any of these other places. There was only one place that they would find mercy. In God. 
And God said, I just want you to know I'm going to be right here. I'm going to be right here because I keep my vows. He keeps his promises. And God says, I'm going to be right here. Yes, judgment is going to come because of your iniquity. It, it's coming. But will you make it right? Will you turn? Will you repent? Will we, as he says here, keep our vow? Take away all iniquity? Stop trusting in our physical strength? The things that we have created as idols in our life, we put them away and turn back to the very one who loves us. That's what, that's what Gomer did. She recognized that everything that she thought was exciting and tempting and pleasurable was nothing. And she recognized there was one who loved her. And she had left him. And she said, I've got to go back. And Gomer actually had the guts and the fortitude to go back to Hosea. Because she recognized that he was the one that truly loved her. Sad, many Christians don't even have the guts and the fortitude that Gomer had. To recognize that God is the one who truly loves us. And say, God, I'm just going to turn and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to keep my vow. You are my Lord and you are my God. And I'm going to put away all iniquity. I'm going to get rid of these other gods that have been controlling my life and coming before you. I'm just going to follow you. Because in you, you are gracious. In you is mercy. Our Father, I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. Lord, you are willing to forgive if we will return. Lord, so often as Christians, we fall in the same trap that Israel did. We've broken our vow. You are not our Lord and our God. We have turned to something else. We have broken that vow. We have allowed something else to become our master. We're following our own plans. We're following our own desires and ambitions. We have allowed sin into our life and self and pleasure. We're trusting in our own physical strength that we can do it all in our own. And we've made so many other gods. But Lord, you've said if we will, if we'll confess and we'll forsake those sins. And seek you. We confess our sin that you are faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wonder tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The piano is just going to play softly. You can remain seated tonight. But for just a moment. Is God speaking to your heart about something tonight? God saying, hey, it's time to return. It's time to return. It's time to put me first again. Are we going to keep our vow? 
to God that He is the Lord and Master of our life? Will we remove the sin? Stop trusting in our physical strength. Get these gods that we've made in our own lives and get them out. He is gracious. He is merciful. We'll just return. judgment upon our life to wake us up? Or will we turn now? All right. God bless you. Uh, Brother Joel, why don't you come tonight? And we'll share some prayer requests this evening.